Welcome to the Nintendo Fusion Podcast, a podcast that fuses past, present, and future Nintendo thought. I'm David, accompanied by my friend Jordan. Now, Jordan, what do you call a lazy console? Hmm. Uh, an Atari? I don't know. What do, what do you got? <laughs> a Nintendo, because it doesn't do anything. Huh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> These are just getting cornier hey, and cornier, but I think it works. The Sega, the Sega Genesis did things. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sega does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> uh, I think that kind of works with uh, today's topic a little bit. Um, today, we actually really want to focus in on the Nintendo seal of quality with uh, a game that shall not be named that came out, I guess, two weeks <laughs> I, ago. I'm, I'm sure the, na- the game will be named. <laughs> it will be later. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with the release of such a game, I guess just two weeks ago now, as of the time of this recording anyway, we thought it would be best to talk about the Nintendo seal of quality, or at least what we think Nintendo should deal with when it comes to quality. So, uh, Jordan, why don't you go ahead and get us started and introduced to the topic? Yeah, so we just wanted to do a quick rundown of like what the Nintendo seal of quality is in case people aren't really aware. Um, it was something that was talked about a lot more in Nintendo fan communities, I feel like, back during the 90s and 2000s, and then kind of died off in the 2010s. Um, and I also think that there's like some disconnect of what like the fans view the seal of quality to be and what Nintendo views the seal to be. Uh, but basically, um, it started with like the video game crash of the 80s where uh, Atari and like a lot of video game publishers at the time kind of just killed co- co- consumer confidence in the video games um, just by pushing out tons and tons of shovelware. They were just making as many games as they could without really putting in any effort into quality. Um, and the infamous like example being ET where <laughs> all, there was a lot of hype behind it <laughs> uh, and marketing push from the, uh, I believe universal, the studio that was making the movie and it just was a complete nightmare. Um, it was so bad that they, the story is, is that they buried like thousands of copies in the desert <laughs> to just get rid yeah. of them. <laughs> <laughs> they just had to like get rid of the, the product somehow. Um, and that basically destroyed the video game industry in America for consoles specifically. Um, I think there's a lot of like exaggeration on how bad the crash was because like arcades were still around. Um, the PC, well, it wasn't called the PC gaming market yet, but the PC gaming market was just getting it. Um, it's footing because one other reason for the console crash was that uh, home computers were now the same price as consoles, uh, largely because TI and Commodore were having like a race to the bottom on price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, people realized, oh, hey, we could play games on the Commodore 64 and uh, it has better processing than uh, these consoles. Um and then on top of that, the console uh, that was also the same year that Sega and Nintendo released their console in Japan. So like consoles were doing fine in Japan as well. It was mostly just like isolated to consoles in America and it just like evaporated. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, I've seen plenty of documentaries. I think there there's a really great one on Netflix uh, that talks about Uh, a good chunk of this crash and it is really insane how bad it was for the video game industry you know it was like 
two years um, of like nothing when it came to like consoles and whatnot in the video game space. Um, but in 85, Nintendo brought the NES to America and it had a slow start <laughs> in a lot of ways, but it, it really helped. Go ahead. Yeah. So they came in 85 uh, stores refused to even accept Nintendo <laughs> because they just didn't want it, it was so toxic to have game consoles like at that point that like big uh, brick and mortar stores just did not want to carry a new console. Um, so I believe Nintendo had to package it in with the uh, Rob to like put it in toy aisles instead of the electronic aisles. <laughs> Or is that just rumor? I'm not sure, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I could see them doing that from a marketing standpoint, but I don't know. I mean, the the old family NESs that we have don't have Rob, but that might just because they stopped that bundle later on. And I'd have to look yeah. more into that. But anyway, um, so to kind of bring back consumer confidence in games, Nintendo introduced the Nintendo Seal of Quality. Um, basically, they were going to limit how many how much shovelware companies could push out uh they had i believe was it the ceo of nintendo personally stamping all these games i don't know if he was ceo at the time but it was hiroshi yamamuchi um i can do a quick search okay uh, i sorry i mispronounced it it's like hiroshi yamauchi i think um yeah he was the third president of nintendo um <laughs> <laughs> yeah he <laughs> um he joined the company in 1949 and then didn't step down until th 2002. He was succeeded by Iwata. So, yeah, the CEO of Nintendo was doing the seal of quality by himself. <laughs> or, or so the stories are. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure he had other people um, kind of going through the games. And then they would, like, show him very... Maybe, maybe they would, like, just show him very specific points or whatever. Because, like, there was no way he played through... What was, was it like hundreds and hundreds yeah, of games. the NES had a massive library. So, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he didn't he didn't personally play through everything. I mean, he was the Nintendo president, just as a little bit of extra context. That was basically the person in charge of transforming Nintendo from that like little toy and card game company into an actual video game publisher and console creator and whatnot since he was there during the biggest and most important eras of Nintendo in that regard anyway, you know, all the way through 2002. <laughs> so that that is the NES's life, the SNES's life and even the N64's life and a little bit of the GameCube. So, you know, yeah, he, he was he was very important. <laughs> the seal of quality wasn't despite the name being seal of quality. Um, I don't think Nintendo really like viewed it as like a stamp of approval of the quality of the game. <laughs> it was more just a licensing thing to make sure that like the game was functional, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just feature complete. We've at least played <laughs> through it and know that it runs and doesn't crash. Yeah. Because <laughs> the NES, even officially licensed games, there are so many bad ones out there. Like that just, you know, still kind of cash grabby, fun in some ways, but. You know, nothing like Nintendo's hand published games like, you know, Super Mario Brothers or The Legend of Zelda or Metroid or Kid Icarus. You know, all of those games, those earn a true quality of seal in my book. You know, those are the NES games ah, you remember. I mean, you, na you named Metroid there. And like, as much as I love the Metroid series, <laughs> I don't know if the original Metroid earns a seal What are you talking quality? about? You don't love how every room looks exactly the same? <laughs> 
<laughs> Kid Icarus is the better like Metroid game on the NES. Like just want to put that out there. <laughs> there. There's a reason why they had to remake the first Metroid game for the Game Boy Advance with a uh, zero mission. <laughs> but yeah, so it was more of a licensing licensing thing. Uh, think of it more like how um, a lot of app stores, including like Apple or whatever, um, it, it would just be like the rubber stamp to be allowed to be sell, sold on that app store. Yeah. But like people could still publish things for the NES without the seal. They just would uh, not have the seal on them and would have to like make the cartridges themselves. And they'd have to um, add a special chip into the cartridge to bypass the NES's um, check for Nintendo's official like lock. It was kind of like a region lock thing, but way more primitive and designed specifically so that only cartridges that were developed by Nintendo would be able to run on the NES. Um, but like that didn't stop a lot of <laughs> publishers that didn't want to get approval from Nintendo from making their own chip to bypass that. Right. And some publishers would just uh, release the game unlicensed and then get licensing later. So, for example, Gauntlet uh, on the NES started off uh, unlicensed. So like my my copy of Gauntlet is unlicensed. Um, That's so cool. That's a collector's item. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know if uh, the unlicensed gauntlet. I think the unlicensed gauntlet is because that, that one would have been mass produced. It was the first print run, but maybe I haven't looked into it. Yeah. So it, that would be equivalent to like an app on the iPhone uh, still working for the iPhone, but you have to like download it from a sketchy website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like side loading it or whatever. Yeah. 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 But, um, you know, after the NES era, um, (laughs) they did not want to continue to hand approve the games with their CEO. So they actually stopped calling it the Nintendo seal of quality and just called it the official Nintendo seal. Right. But fans internally kept calling it the seal of quality and uh, kept expecting it to mean that like Nintendo had a uh, mission to quality software, which Nintendo games, for the most part, have been very well built. Yeah. um, And very functional. I mean, we can agree that there are quite a few bad games that Nintendo's made, but they've never been like awful in terms of performance. You know, it was just like letdowns, at least at the time. Right. And when the games were kind of like performing bad, it was usually because of the hardware and not so much like software right yeah that's fair except in a more recent case but we'll, we'll talk about that one later <laughs> uh, and i'm sure you could like pinpoint a bunch of like games throughout the 30 years of nintendo history or 40 years at this point <laughs> right um where there's like buggy messes um like one one example that came up or that i remember was uh skyward sword had some soft lock issues oh that one was nuts <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair they didn't expect you to get the dragons out of order in that game <laughs> <laughs> but of course that didn't stop some fans i mean if you ended up doing like i think it was the thunder dragon first it would just completely soft lock your game because <laughs> the save file didn't know what to do um or, or the game didn't know what to do with your save file at that point but nintendo did hear about that issue and fortunately the Wii had internet connectivity so they added like a whole WiiWare app that you could download that would just patch <laughs> your save file <laughs> oh, but there was so much controversy around it because like so nintendo was able to make an app specifically to patch your game well to patch your save file not your game patch yeah patch your save file and this wasn't really an option like third party developers had access to. So it kind of was giving like an edge 
with Nintendo over everyone else (laughs) producing games for Nintendo. Um, And so this was a big like debate because this was during the age of DLC and patch updates for PS3 and Xbox 360. Right. Right. When they were really taking off. Yeah. And so it was a pretty controversial moment. Um, It's kind of crazy to think now, like back then, like we freaked out over just a single softlock oversight (laughs) compared to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the quality of the gaming industry now. Um, I know it's kind of crazy. I mean, you would get um, like Metroid Prime and that game would have to work perfectly forever. <laughs> you know, like they could yeah. never patch those discs. And actually, and it's not like there weren't glitches or anything. It's just that. No, it was functional, though. Right. I mean, Metroid Prime one, I believe, had some sort of like really ridiculous glitch on its initial printing of the disc that they then fixed on later prints. But like they couldn't just say, hey, fans, send in your discs and we'll replace them. They actually did uh, for particular cases where people reached out. But like. That was the best they could do at the time <laughs> compared to now. It's just like, ah, here, here's a 400 megabyte download for you. This will fix some stuff. Yeah. And I do remember there were like different versions of cartridges back in the N64 era where they would like make updates to games. Yeah. And then Ocarina of Time like, is one of the most well-known games for yeah, that. Yeah. That's why I own so many copies of Ocarina of Time for the N64. Yeah. You got to have um, version 1.0 that has yeah, the uh, original music and, um, original uh textures for like the gerudo icons and whatnot yeah uh and also blood yeah <laughs> yeah ganondorf actually they, they edited out the blood uh they had they got a scathing review that um it was too violent for kids because you uh smashed the your master sword into ganon's face at the end of the game <laughs> <laughs> and blood splurts in all directions so now it's just green goo uh, like he, he's just yeah. magic <laughs> As if Green Goo fixes it. Also, Ganondorf vomits blood um, during his fight. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I, like we didn't take out like the skulls, the skull walls in the Shadow Temple or, <laughs> or like, the, the stains and the, and the, or, yeah, the uh, blood stains in the in the well. And the guillotine. There, there were still plenty of other issues. Just that um, they they addressed just the specific ones that like parents were <laughs> or this review had said. But anyway, that's that's another story. Um, and so there's been, as we like become more and more reliant on updates for video games, um, the quality assurance <laughs> of games has decreased because more and more publishers have been getting more and more like, okay, with the idea of just like pushing out a broken game, it'll get day one patch. And then, um, we can just continue to patch things. And I, it's starting to feel like it's getting to a breaking point with consumers again, sort of like with a video game crash. Of 83, yeah. where consumer confidence is really low right now for AAA games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at the launch of Cyberpunk. I mean, yeah. that game was notorious for how bad it ran and worked upon launch. They have addressed and fixed most things, but like that was a rough couple of months there. Yeah. And a big reason for why people were so upset about that one was because uh cd project red had a really good reputation going into cyberpunk and also promised a lot with (laughs) the game that they just weren't able to deliver and they had announced it what like six years earlier so people were like oh they've been working on this game forever it'll be amazing when it was like seven years Yeah. yeah it was in development hell for a long time but um it just came out as just a complete mess and it's not like (laughs) 
Cyberpunk was the first game to come out in the first AAA game to come out in a complete mess. It's just that we expected it out of studios like Bethesda and EA and Ubisoft. And here was one of um, the game gaming fans like Darlings uh, just completely collapsing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in a lot of cases, well, I mean, never mind. Uh, There are quite a few games that launch in such poor states. Right. But you also then have to consider what us Nintendo fans also have to deal with with releases where Nintendo seems to release not necessarily buggy games, but like games that are missing a significant amount of content on release. Right. Yeah. The lazy release. That's also pretty common. Yeah, you could look at Animal Crossing when it launched. It had an amazing launch. It was, you know, people bought it like crazy. It was fun at first, but people started at least that were really into like the 3DS and DS titles that knew how much content there should have been in the game from the get go kind of got turned off from the games, at least from my experience. I know that there were a lot of uh, people that just absolutely loved it and continued playing it without that. But like they were missing events. There were all sorts of furniture items that were gone. There was no way to interact with some of the series staples, you know, individual villagers and characters that people have loved since the first games that have always made an appearance just were not in this game. And it wasn't until like a year or so later that we got some significant content updates. And for a lot of people that came too late, you know, and Animal Crossing definitely isn't like the first of its kind to go through that. You've also got like all of the sports games Nintendo's been releasing over the last few years, like that are just missing characters and modes because they just needed to get the game out for some reason. Like Switch Sports just got their update for a new sport, I think. And Strikers was missing Daisy, a character that had been in the game from day one on the GameCube. You know, just really weird decisions when it comes to releasing games without all of the content that they should come with, you know? Yeah. Over the last decade or so, there's been a lot of debate on like what constitutes a finished game because of DLC and patch updates and all that. And the business models have changed and also with um, for, uh, uh, for free to play games as well, where there's just a continuous uh, amount of like updates coming out. Right. And it seems like Nintendo is constantly trying to push the boundary to see like what the minimal amount of a game you can produce is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are some games where it kind of makes sense to just have steady streams of content as long as they're promised. Like in my mind, I'm fine with Splatoon and how they're like slowly releasing more weapons and stages and whatnot. But in a lot of ways, that's also because they had a really complete uh, single player story mode that I think was worth the money to begin with. You know, a lot of these games that get the content, even if they're not free to play, follow that sort of model because they need to keep people coming back to the game to continue using the service and whatnot. Yeah. Particularly um, multiplayer focused games. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Smash Brothers Ultimate was really complete when it came out. You know, it had literally everything from every game in the series. But then they had the good DLC patches where every few months, I guess, we got a whole new character. And that was a great way to do DLC. And the game was still complete on launch. And I think a large reason why Smash was able to do that uh, in today's market was because they had they set out with like a mission statement of we want this to be the ultimate package where we bring back everyone. They wanted that everyone is here. Right. Message. Message. Right. Right. Um, that was a big part of the marketing push. Um, they 
probably could have released Ultimate without um, the single player campaign, honestly. But I'm <laughs> sure Sakurai wanted to push for a, um, a, a secondary gimmick at the end uh, to try and boost sales. Yeah, at least something so the people that either don't have a ton of friends or don't have a lot of time to play with friends had something to also get the game. And Right, and Sakurai is also known for just like being very content heavy with his games. Right. Well, um, except for Smash 4. <laughs> <laughs> that that was because it, they were overambitious and decided to develop for two systems. Right. But don't forget that in Smash 4, they decided that returning characters were going to be paid DLC as well, like some of them. Yeah. <laughs> like Mewtwo and Lucas, you know. <laughs> it was like, okay. <laughs> But yeah, no, that was definitely because they were like, oh, let's put it on both Wii U and 3DS. That that was such a weird time for Smash history. But anyway. Yeah, it does make you wonder what a future Smash will look like, uh, especially if Sakurai is not there to to make it as much as like we've said, like in the past um, that Sakurai is holding back competitive Smash or whatever. Um, and that might have been true back during the Wii and the Wii U era, but he's definitely come around on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I don't think Nin- <laughs> I, I'm kind of concerned, like what kind of direction Nintendo would take a Sakurai less Smash Bros now <laughs> because of how they're treating all their other multiplayer focused games where they are just constantly gutting content out of them to make them as like lean as possible. And any like thing that, that needs to be part of the game that <laughs> they're trying to push out like the, the smallest game possible and then they'll just do like free updates later on that would have usually been part of the package like mario golf and mario tennis are i think some of the worst defenders in that category because it's like who wants to go back and play those games after like four months of nothing just because rosalina was announced or whatever (laughs) like you're trying to pull me in in that way when i would have rather had everything and then just go back to the game when i wanted to yeah and I'm, i'm interested to see how like i'm sure nintendo has lots of internal data where it, it shows that like it's more monetary it's more fiscally like profitable uh to do it this way and that's why they're doing it because anecdotally uh this freemium model or this free update model what what, what, would, what would be a good like name for this kind of like model because it's not a free model you are paying 60 dollars for an unfinished game and then getting free updates um a 60 dollar continual experience that grows over time i don't know <laughs> i don't know we need some sort of catchy name for it um and there might already be one it's just not i i haven't come across it yeah uh but this kind of model has actually turned me away from a lot of nintendo games particularly uh, mario strikers where at the beginning of the year when they announced it i said i was really excited for it and was definitely going to get it and i've played two matches at a friend's house and I feel like I'm completed with that game. I'm sorry. Uh, did that come out this year? I don't remember. It feels like it came out so long ago. Are you looking it up? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I'm not either. I got a little sidetracked by searching for what do you call an unfinished game? <laughs> and all these articles are like releasing unfinished games and ugly fad <laughs> unfinished games. Why do they keep <laughs> happening? <laughs> like, so we're, we're apparently not the only ones that are mad about that yeah so. maybe we should just call it the unfinished model the unfinished model yeah that'll work the or the to be finished model where they promise the to us be finished the to do the to do model, <laughs> the <to-do> model. <laughs> sure <laughs> um 
yeah, so Mario Strikers did come out this year. That's right. Wow, that's that right. It like did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I remember buying it. Uh, I don't think I've plugged it in yet. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's some free money from me, Nintendo, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, there just wasn't a lot of characters at launch. And so I was just like, I don't want to fi- fight all these mirror matches over and over again. You're just going to have tons and tons of mirror matches because there's just not enough characters and i like variety in my games yeah Uh, it's a bummer um and so like these issues we have right now with like the current state of the quality of nintendo games are separate from i would say the hardware uh side yes uh (laughs) hardware performance we do have issues with it but (laughs) you can only do what you have access to right and so i think our listeners know how many problems we have with the switch hardware (laughs) i think we bring it up like every episode (laughs) yeah it's we're we're due we're due for an update and wait jordan just real quick you're telling me that the nvidia chip that was announced in 2015 isn't good enough (laughs) no it's not I have a Steam Deck now. It's so hard to justify getting games on the Switch now. <laughs> I know. Uh, but we have to because Nintendo will only sell games on the Switch. That was another thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. Anyway. But though, the issues we're talking about specifically right now are more of just like um, publishing issues, uh, development issues, uh, a lack of quality assurance. Right. With their games. But I will pivot a little bit here um there are quite a few games that have come out over the last few years that have come out complete and not as to-do games um yeah you know and nintendo's published a bunch of them too but it's just kind of frustrating because uh during the wii era and the wii u era um a lot of other companies were going through the same growing pains that Nintendo is right now, particularly like Bethesda and EA and <laughs> Ubisoft, uh, which you could probably say are still going through growing pains. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like one of my friends would always come to me and they'd be like, I'm so done with the AAA game industry because it's just always just pushing out um, buggy messes. And my response would always usually be, well, that's a lot of like the third party publishers uh, that are just you you can usually expect quality out of the like the first party games from the console developers uh as well as like valve themselves on the bloom and they decide to actually pr- produce a game um <laughs> because they're trying to also sell their platforms right so sony yeah. nintendo um microsoft is kind of hit or miss but <laughs> now it's not so confident with nintendo anymore um sony's still very very competent at making finished games but and that might be why they're currently the leading uh <laughs> console developer but <laughs> yeah that's a good point uh, i don't know it it is really hard to want to trust all of these gigantic studios to release new games and i think it gets harder when it comes to these big studios because you also have microsoft like snatching up all of these companies as well so it's like well if that company was releasing buggy, unfinished messes, not under Microsoft, is Microsoft going to help that or make it worse? Because Microsoft has other games that have come out poorly. You know, like um, I was really upset with the Overwatch 2 launch. Um, it, I was mm. so mad that I've actually like stopped playing the game entirely, which is a huge pivot for me because I basically played, I guess, not quite every single day, but 
most every day overwatch one right up until overwatch two released like for the last year now you know in defense of microsoft microsoft does not have control of overwatch not yet. yet but there was a lot of discussion after overwatch 2 came out that was like will microsoft push them push activision blizzard to be better or is it going to get worse and all these people are like oh they have so much money that it'll certainly be better but you never know, right? So if it does get better, I don't think it'll just be because Microsoft has tons of money. Um, <laughs> <because> <laughs> Microsoft's been the the richest kid on the block for quite a while. <laughs> and they still have to resort to swooping everybody up to stay Yeah, ahead. <laughs> it's not like Microsoft just suddenly came across a lot of money and they're going to like change everything. Yeah. Um, it's, Microsoft still has had a bunch of like poor releases. Um or underwhelming releases, but there's still, I feel like the quality control of Microsoft is still fairly high compared to the rest of the industry. Yeah. It's not as high as Sony for sure. Um, off the top of my head, like the Halo Infinite and also Age of Empires 4 also had kind of underwhelming releases, but not like bad releases, right? Right, right. And no, to Microsoft's sense. credit, they fixed most of the issues. Um, Halo still is a bit light on content compared to previous Halo games, but it's still has quite a bit of content compared to other games in the industry. In my opinion, um, it's just that there is like a noticeable de decrease in content of this Halo compared to previous Halos. And a lot of people are a little upset about that. And Age of Empires had a bunch of bugs upon release, but they fixed as far as I know, most of them. It's a pretty solid game now. Yeah, no, I, and I, I get that. It's just. It was so frustrating to see Blizzard just push out what, in my opinion, was a super buggy and very incomplete game to completely erase everything that was Overwatch. Literally, they turned off the servers for Overwatch 1, forced updated everybody to Overwatch 2, and... Overwatch 1 is just gone. All of that game mode, all of that stuff is gone. Sure, all of your skins and history of your playtime and whatnot are in Overwatch 2, but it was still like such a gut puncher for me anyway. Yeah. And like it's it's interesting to talk about because like with Microsoft, they've been snatching up tons and tons of studios and they've been doing this for five or six years now, it feels like. Right. And we still haven't really seen a game released under these studios that was like from start to finish under Microsoft's <laughs> Good point. Uh, watch, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I think Star, what is it? Starfield? Starfield is going to be the first like major canary in the coal mine um, because this is going to be a game released by Bethesda, which does not have the best track record for <laughs> launches or games, <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, and it's seen significant delays. And I'm wondering if it's because if Microsoft has made major pushes in those delays because it hasn't reached Microsoft's uh, seal of approval yet, but it's all just speculation at this point. Yeah. Um, so if like, <laughs> if Starfield's a complete mess, uh, I would, that's when I would start being concerned about future Microsoft games. Right. And to kind of change topics just a little bit here, but kind of on the same vein, part of me also wonders how things are compared to the perspective of like the management at these companies versus the actual developers themselves. Um, you know, like are, are games coming out in unfinished states because management is forcing it to be like that. And they're like, we've wasted too much money and time. It has to come out. Um, 
Is it because developers are being lazy? I never want to blame the developers for really anything. Cause so anyway, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's because the developers are lazy. I would say it's, uh, when it, when it's on the developers. So the simple answer is both. I think it's both producers and the developers. Uh, when it's on the developer's side, it's largely because like uh, project mismanagement, right? Uh, they had intense feature creep or they uh, had to remove a bunch of legacy stuff and it kind of like broke stuff, um, stuff like that. Whereas the producers probably like didn't give them enough resources or limited them on time or just said, uh, we're just going to release. <laughs> we're done paying for this. We're just going to release now. Um, and so I think it's, a, a, it's both of them and they kind of go hand in hand. So like a publisher just might get tired of what they view as project mismanagement. And they're like, well, we have to like recoup our costs. So we just have to release. All right. All right. Uh, specifically, that's what happened with cyberpunk. Um, <laughs> We're tired of this game being in development hell for seven years. <laughs> just get it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, as far as I understand it, um, they were under contract because they got a loan from the Polish government that they had to release that year. <laughs> I mean, and so that's why they, re- they released in December. Like it, it just had to come out. Otherwise, yeah, uh, they would have the Polish government on them. And that's the last like <laughs> loan collection agency you want on you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want them on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I mean, I don't know. Kind of pivoting back to Nintendo since that's our thing. Like there have just been some really interesting cases in the last couple of years that have just really brought up this topic further and further. You know, we've already talked about those like multiplayer games, like sports games in particular that are just like drip feeding content up for a very much unfinished and featureless game. But then you have the game that really inspired this discussion. Um, If you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that we kind of ended the episode saying that we wanted to talk about this topic within that episode. And that's because we had to give our initial impressions of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And Scarlet and Violet is honestly, in my opinion, the weirdest and most unique case from Nintendo, even out of all of these somewhat unfinished games. Don't you agree? Like... Yeah, it's so much worse than anything that has happened in the last few years. I can't think off the top of my head a single game that even comes close to Scarlet and Violet's case uh, from Nintendo proper. Yeah, <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, and like we've been watching it like kind of <laughs> we've been watching the Pokemon games kind of slowly slip into this state. Like it's not like Arceus was <laughs> the best performing. No. Game. I mean, um, I would argue that Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee were perfectly fine in normal games because, you know, they stripped a ton of content out of them. Um, but we started to see a little bit of a slide with Sword and Shield where the games were yeah. not high quality. There were some really awful bugs in them, not nearly to the level of Scarlet and Violet, but like easy exploits, um, terrible looking graphics for a, a game even in 2019. And then, like you said, Legends Arceus that released early this year was super fun and really great to play, but it also had some significant issues. But Scarlet and Violet. Whew. Most of the issues with Legends Arceus uh, were frame rate issues and graphical issues, right? Yeah. 
the games are pretty solid, though <laughs> there is one bug that they still haven't patched that will literally crash your game. And it's if you transfer in a shiny Giratina origin and have it use its signature move, um, <laughs> they don't have any of the assets in the game for the shiny using that move. So it just crashes the game. So that, that's a fun one. <laughs> Off the top of my head. But anyway, um, but yeah, it, it's mostly visual and uh, and frame rate problems the biggest visual one for me is how there's no anti-aliasing in that game either <laughs> uh draw distance is my biggest oh, issue draw distance but... is also terrible <laughs> it looks really but it's so much better than scarlet violet <laughs> yeah pokemon pop into existence in scarlet and violet when there's just not enough time to react and like get out of the way sometimes <laughs> my favorite thing about the pokemon are like you can walk into them and then they're in their super low poly models until like the battle actually starts. So you can like just see all these super harsh edges on the Pokemon. You're just like, <laughs> that doesn't look right. And then all of a sudden it just pops in the high res model. <laughs> I had one encounter where um, I was riding my bike and I was uh, boosting and a Pokemon popped in right in front of me. I tried to turn out of the way, slid into it. <laughs> it started the battle. Well, it didn't start the battle. It got like the exclamation mark or whatever, and everything stopped. <laughs> and it just sat there for a while. And then the game's like, and I couldn't like move my character. And the game's like, nah, I don't feel like to do a battle. <laughs> it just kicked me out of the battle. And let me keep going. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I was uh, going to catch the legendary at the end of the game. And, um, I, I go up to encounter it and all of a sudden I'm in a battle with a Doug trio and I'm just like, where the heck did you come from? <laughs> like, I was like, I, I know I tried to encounter this legendary Pokemon here. Oh, it was so bizarre. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not even these like pop in issues, but there are all sorts of bugs that are just unacceptable. Oh, yeah. The dyna dynamic cameras specifically for like oh, transitioning oh from uh, overworld to battle is just awful. It's such <laughs> a mess. There's so many issues of just like making characters disappear or um, <laughs> characters being in the wrong position or, um, <laughs> or do you, do you like how when you start a battle, you like teleport <laughs> and sometimes it like puts you super far away <laughs> and you're just like, I was yeah. not over there. <laughs> There's so many instances where you just can't see anything because it will just like fixate the camera on the ground and all the Pokemon are too far away. So they're so that you can't like angle the camera <laughs> to see anything. It's like, all right, I guess I just wanted to look at this nice patch of low textured grass. <laughs> yep, that happens all the time. Um, <laughs> there's also like you go, you can throw a Pokeball and then the camera clips through the ground. So you just see the void below. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that one's super fun um yeah <laughs> the camera's awful i hate the camera so much in this game my least favorite camera thing is when you enter a shop which don't get me started on how there's no interiors to like any of the shops except for like this one sandwich joint um but you go into the shop and then if you leave and you hold the control stick up because you expect the camera to be put behind you as you're walking out you'll just immediately walk back inside with the camera clipping through because there's like a single frame where the camera is still in its original position from when you entered the building so i have walked back inside stores over and over and over again and it drives me crazy <laughs> i'm like come on would you like to know a cursed piece of knowledge about sure. a bug? <laughs> this isn't more so a bug, but like how pressed they were for time during cutscenes and inside interiors. 
look for a single Pokeball on the ground. That Pokeball is the object that they use to spawn into an environment so that they know where zero zero is. <laughs> or like where the center of the scene is, I guess. Maybe not necessarily zero oh, zero. No. There are some cutscenes where you can just see a Pokeball on the floor. There are rooms inside the academy where there's just a random Pokeball just sitting there. And a lot of other fun little things. Like they couldn't even remove those debug objects before they shipped out this game. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a kind of mistake I would have made on like RPG Maker back in high school. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, oh, and then, of course, there's the really fun one where for two whole frames as the camera's fading out, all of the characters in the opening cutscene will (laughs) T-pose. It's after the camera is pretty dark, so you have to be like really watching for it. But I was literally editing um, the video version of last week's podcast and I had recorded that scene and I was just like watching it and I hit pause and I was like, wait a minute, I'm so close to there. I want to see if it happened on my game, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. All the characters T posing is great. They're just asserting dominance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, not to mention one of my other favorite fully unintentional bugs um i believe i told you about this uh i guess last night um the battle stadium the ability to battle with people online um (laughs) every single battle was seeded with the exact same rng seed (laughs) in version 1.0.1 so people had developed setups with particular pokemon to ensure that like sheer cold would one hit KO every single time and you just would win the game because <laughs> it was so you, <laughs> That's so bad. you were so able to like determine it. Uh, and then of course there's all sorts of other visual glitches. We talked about some of them where characters will just straight up disappear, go off into the void. There's the really annoying one where if a Pokemon's AI out in the wild runs up to the Pokemon center and it crosses crosses the threshold it'll just like disappear and then like reappear on the other side or after it's decided to turn around because they couldn't figure out how to get the pokemon to walk near the pokemon center or like not get close to it (laughs) so there's that there's also model um corruption where like your character's eyes will bug out or you'll be locked into a permanent scowl phase for some reason, or your model will suddenly get like super tall or your ride Pokemon will just disappear. It's just, it's so fun watching all of these bugs. Yeah. And it is fun. And <laughs> if we learned anything uh, from cyberpunk, it's actually probably increasing. sales. <laughs> probably <to be> honest. <laughs> people want there's so much more attention on it and it's just so funny and people just want to like experience (laughs) uh just how awful it is i know um i will say i will be disappointed if they like patch out some of the fun (laughs) bugs uh backwards long jumping up uh cliffs has just become so integral to (laughs) traversing the game for me that i don't even know what i would do (laughs) if it's gone well keep progressing the story and you'll figure out what you'll do after that (laughs) yeah uh for context i'm at the sixth gym right now okay so you're getting close but you're also playing where like you have a team of like 40 pokemon or something (laughs) yeah yeah so i have so every time i catch a so every time i see a pokemon i don't recognize I've been catching it and putting on my party and I'm keeping all of my party at the same level and no one's getting kicked off. So my team's at like, it's almost like 50 Pokemon now. <laughs> um, I reached the, the sixth gym and her Pokemon's like, they're, they're around level 40. Um, my team's around level 28. 
<laughs> That's amazing. I'm having a rough time right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just for our listeners, we are planning on doing a full review, but we thought we'd hold off on reviewing the games until Jordan finishes because I'm in the post game. Um, I really want to talk about the final chunk of the game because who oh boy, but I'm not going to spoil any yeah. of it. You need to experience it yourself. We'll have a spoiler review. Yeah. Uh, I assume next week. Like I don't have too much. left. Sounds good. Um, but back back onto the topic of like quality and whatnot, you know, we're, we're laughing at all of these bugs and, and all of that. And it's just insane that Nintendo allowed this to happen. You know, like, I, I know that um, Creatures and Game Freak and um, Nintendo all own a different amount of the Pokemon Company International. And I believe that it's the Pokemon Company International that like sets all of these release dates because, you know, they have all sorts of crazy gears in the machine that deal with like uh, merchandise, the trading card game, the anime and all of that because Pokemon is the biggest media franchise in the world. And if they have to hold back the games for six months, that means they have to figure out six months worth of products and events and whatnot to slot into the already churning machine. So I get that it's hard for them to uh, deal with all sorts of delays like this, but this game seriously needed it. And (laughs) even though Game Freak and Nintendo and Creatures all own like a certain portion of the company, they cannot say no to that kind of a, restriction and release date so i guess they had to do what we talked about early and was just like well here you go you gotta just release these games as they are and it's a shame that they had to at the same time though um it's not like game freak is the most technical wizard (laughs) company out there oh here's an interesting fact for you um there are over a thousand people listed in the credits for this game yeah. And do you know how many there were for Breath of the Wild? Uh, I believe it was 300. Yep, 300. So 700 more people had to work on Scarlet and Violet to get it out in this time frame. And it's still this bad, which honestly makes me think that it's not necessarily a budget issue that the Pokemon company has with Game Freak. It's 100% a time issue and I guess internal personnel at Game Freak itself. Having to contract all of this out to contract workers and other companies to handle small bits of the game just isn't a great way to make a fully cohesive video game i know that the ui was 100 percent developed outside of game freak well maybe not 100 percent. it sounds like a big project management issue yeah um at game freak and i hope they can figure it out i hope so Uh, too (laughs) because i mean there is a great game hiding hiding underneath all of that mess i think scarlet and violet if they fix everything will be the best games in the series but Yeah, as they stand, it's hard to give them that title when they're so busted and it's like, where's the quality assurance on this? Like, even if we if they had all the time in the world and we didn't have to worry about the machine that is Pokemon continuing to churn, do you think that Nintendo would have pulled back this game and said, no, we're delaying it? What do you think? Uh, Probably. (laughs) So Nintendo has a really good history of. um when things just aren't working, they delay it. And that's a big right reason why quality assurance uh, trust uh, consumer confidence has been very high with Nintendo for like their almost entire existence. Um, if a game is bad, it's usually because of the quality. It's not, it's usually because of like the game itself and not like, it's just unfun. It's not functional. Yeah. What's that Miyamoto quote? Oh, I think I found it. Um, a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is forever bad. Like yeah. that's me. And moment. like a delayed game can still be bad, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like a Duke Nukem forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Yeah. I mean, we know that Nintendo has delayed all sorts of games and, you know, Breath of the Wild was delayed like three different times. Like they gave us release windows multiple times for the first Breath of the Wild. They're like, yeah, it'll come out next year. Just kidding. We're going to need another year. Uh, JK, guys, it's coming out in 2017. And then Tears of the Kingdom, they were like, hey, we're working on the sequel. And then a year after, they're like, hey, it's coming out next year. And now it's like, nope, just kidding. It's coming out in 2023. So I think Nintendo's pretty good at doing that for at least their single player games. And I'd imagine if Pokemon was a wholly Nintendo property that didn't have like all of the moving pieces attached to it, like it currently does, that they would have delayed these games. But I feel like it's a... Nintendo views like whether a game should be delayed based off of like the purpose of the game. Mm-hmm. If it's a single player um, adventure with one of their like beloved IPs, then they're more than willing to uh, keep delaying it because those typically end up being evergreen titles, specific, especially now. Yeah. Uh, and they just keep selling. Yeah. I mean, Breath of the Wild is a great example of that. And hopefully Metroid Prime 4 is also an example of that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure Metroid Prime 4 isn't going to come out till like it's ready. Yeah, I agree. I I feel like Retro Studios, uh, they know they have a reputation to uphold, even though they haven't released the game in almost 10 years. <laughs> you know, Tropical Freeze was their last one. <laughs> yeah. What was that? 2013? Oh, man, probably. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, they, they so did. Add I hope Funky it comes Kong out next year. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, we'll we'll see when I I'm sure we're getting close to prime four. I think Nintendo is holding it close to its chest because one, they know investors and fans are already just excited for Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom anyway right now. Uh, So like if it's not coming out till next holiday, there's not a whole lot of reason to really announce it yet, especially if it's like uncertain if it's coming out next holiday. Right. They don't want to have another scenario where they delay it. They've already delayed it once. Yeah. Um, so it's coming. I'm sure it's coming. I hope it's coming. I hope so. <laughs> I think they would have told there's us no if they way just they canceled silently. It. There's no way they quietly cancel it, right? <laughs> no, they'd have to tell us. They gave us a whole video where they were like, we're sorry, everybody. Like on its own, just out of the blue, like, hey, we're sorry, but we have to start over with this game. And we were all like, thank you for at least telling us that because you could have just said, hey, Prime 4 is coming and then not said anything for years and years and years. And we'd all be wondering where it is, but we wouldn't be like panicking, I guess. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. We, we've waited worse waiting periods for Nintendo games. <laughs> I really do appreciate Nintendo's willingness to delay things and also their transparency to fans um, and also investors about those delays. And then on top of that, they don't like always just delay them because they're not working, but also sometimes because uh, they just want good work culture. Yeah. Uh, which was the case for Animal Crossing. Yep, so, yep, yep. Um, I mean, another thing that they've also delayed is the Mario movie. And like Nintendo's not even really working on that. You know, they just want it to yeah. be really good. You know, I have a lot of problems with like some of the kind of character designs just from my own personal opinion, you know, they'll probably end up growing on me. And of course, I think some of the voice acting is absolutely terrible in the English dub, but that that's a discussion for another day. But I also heard a really interesting theory the other day that the reason why we got that Donkey Kong game rumored and that hasn't come out as well as like an, a new 2D or 3D Mario game is because they wanted to release the Mario movie first because the Mario movie has a bunch of character design updates 
that kind of modernize the Mario franchise. And so, like, especially in the case of Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong looks way better. I don't know if you saw his render from the movie. Like, if that's the design that they choose for Donkey Kong going forward, I'd be fine with it. Uh, Yeah, like, I, I don't know so much about that. So I kind of, from what I've seen of the trailer, like I've watched it multiple times now, uh, specifically for the Donkey Kong. I'm a huge <laughs> Donkey Kong fan. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's just start off with that. Yeah. <laughs> like the Donkey Kong part was the movie, was a part of the movie that like I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like it happens really in a good early part of the movie too, which is great. It's not just yeah. like Donkey Kong is a minor character that appears in the last five minutes. <laughs> well, I, I expect that um, it's kind of the beginning of the second act that go to the Kongs and then they go to the Kongs for right before the final battle. And that's why they have all the go-karts. Yeah. Um, almost all the cart riders are Kongs in that scene aside from like the main trio. Right. So I suspect that like the Kongs are the ones who have the carts or something. They, they're just like <laughs> uh, gearheads or whatever. Hopefully I'm hoping personally that it's because funky Kong is ma- the one making all these carts. Well, I think someone <laughs> zoomed in on one of the Kongs and it is funky Kong in the background. Like, yeah, it looks like him. We, we're not, we're, we're not, not sure. But yet. anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so it feels like, the current, uh, well, the the new updated model for Donkey Kong, he has like a lot of resemblance to um, DK Junior back on the NES. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the softness to like his face and everything like that. I agree. Um, that that's the vibe I get from it. So I'm not entirely sure if it's because like that's the model we want to go for with the new games. Um, I think it's more just that this movie seems to be focusing a lot more on like mario content from the 80s and 90s Mm, Uh, we're getting a lot of like deep cuts on like (laughs) a bunch of characters getting added in um that haven't been part of the mario franchise for quite some time yeah good Um, point so i i think it's more of just like a nostalgia thing yeah yeah. uh, why they, they updated it and i imagine nintendo is more going to be like so this new donkey kong game that's rumored is coming from nintendo ead i think knowing how nintendo works they're going to find a graphical style that fits the theme of that game Mm. and donkey kong will be designed around that and not designed around just his generic uh production model that they use for advertising that makes sense so i don't know if i agree with that it could be and they might just be delaying mario games so that the movie has its time to shine and then like really puts Mario in the spotlight. So then four months after the movie comes out, they can announce these games for the end of the year and get a huge marketing push or something. Um, yeah. I'll only believe that if uh, the games show up in the January direct. Yeah, that's a good point. If they don't show up in the January direct, then um, they're completely unrelated to the movie. As far as it seems like all of these rumors, they sounded so confident that maybe they're just being delayed because they needed more time. And that might just be a sign that Nintendo's focusing on quality like this whole episode has been about. <laughs> so anyway, um, I guess we could kind of like wrap things up a little bit here um, by saying, yeah. like, you know, there are some definite anomalies recently, especially with Scarlet and Violet. That's like we can't believe that this got past quality assurance and that they released it in the state that it's in. And we are kind of upset with some of the um to-do style games <laughs> of the <laughs> sports models that have been coming out recently, like with strikers and the tennis games and all that stuff. And it's kind of unfortunate that that's happening, but I would say that Nintendo really does have a good focus on quality, regardless of those pieces. They could be better for sure. 
but I, I would say Nintendo does focus on quite a bit of quality. Um, most of the games that we end up getting are yeah. great. It seems to be a <laughs> there's just not a lot of like consistency with their games <laughs> <True>. now anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of frustrating. Um, and it's just kind of the direction Nintendo's going with now. Uh, I will say that like we made a lot of connections with the video game crash at the beginning of this episode. Uh, we're not entering anything close to a video game crash. I think <laughs> yeah. the video game industry is, has never been healthier, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's just that there are some issues that as consumers, I would like to ha- have be like fixed <laughs> in the industry going forward, particularly in the AAA industry. And who knows, maybe that'll change as we, move on i mean you never really know uh, especially with trends for how hardware is going like are all are some of these companies going to be super interested in vr for some reason even though i never want to play a vr game I, for i a think the hours. vr ship has sailed i don't know <laughs> it's 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 limping along <laughs> well i think mark zuckerberg single-handedly destroyed the prospects for vr in the future <laughs> Like if it Sony, Sony's trying so hard with VR. We could talk about VR later. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Um, But they it's a cost issue. I feel it. It's really hard for game publishers to kind of convey the value to consumers. What VR gives. I agree. And I would rather play 2D games anyway. Well, not 2D games like games on my screen (laughs) rather than with a headset. Um. So anyway, um, I, I think that we should be very uh, critical of video game companies when it comes to making games and ensuring that they're of good quality. Like, I don't think it's wrong to ever criticize a company for making bad games. You can still be a fan of a series and of a game, um, but still offer valid criticism. Scarlet <laughs> and Violet deserves a lot of that. <laughs> and you can still love I Pokemon. Find, so I find I'm a lot more critical of things I care about than not yeah me too and i I think that's a sign of just how much we love them so how how can you truly love something if you aren't willing to help it grow (laughs) (laughs) well you're also like a lot more aware of like its issues (laughs) that's very true uh i mean you know if we look back on some of our past episodes some of the games that we've played even in the last year of this podcast being alive we've given them like perfect tens or straight up nines you know nintendo's releasing great games right now but we just hope that they continue to focus on quality and that scarlet and violet is a clear sign to the pokemon company and game freak that they really should put out polished games though it's hard to say if they'll go that direction after the game sold 10 million copies in their first weekend (laughs) well yeah i think it's going to sell the same amount as it's going to hit that like range that pokemon games always hit um Pokemon's just been in this state where it always just like just sells to the same fans over and over again and doesn't really grow or shrink. So, yeah. And I think that they could grow a lot more if they took what they're trying to do with Scarlet and Violet, which, again, we'll talk about more in detail next time and just really allowed the game to be developed well and get the time that it needs. But uh, I guess that that's a discussion for next time. Um, other than that, I don't have much else to say about quality and Nintendo. I think they're doing a good job and hope that they continue to do so and that they even improve further. Anything else from you, Jordan? I think I'm good. All right. Did you agree with that last statement? Like, or did you have something you wanted to say instead? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I think (laughs) Nintendo does well on the games they want to do well. (laughs) Okay. That's a good point. (laughs) 
<laughs> all right. As a whole, they're kind of average on quality. <laughs> if we average it all out. Yeah. Uh, I'd say they're still above average. Okay. Uh, mostly okay. at the detriment of the rest of the <laughs> AAA industry. But. Yeah. Well, Tears of the Kingdom will be really good. There's a reason they're delaying it so much, right? Yeah, I'm sure that one is going to be one of the games that Nintendo is very motivated to be very, very polished. Hey, well, here here we go. Tears of the Kingdom. Can't wait. We're getting so close. You know, now that we're in December, it's like, oh, that game comes out in like a few months, basically. <laughs> you know, so it's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I still don't know what the game is. <laughs> no, none of us do. What's the story really about? But whatever, we can have a speculation episode in the future, too. I'm sure it'll show up at the Game Awards and then there will be a big January, February direct where uh, the big title game of that direct (laughs) will be Tears of the Kingdom. Considering we got the Mario movie trailer this week instead of at the Game Awards, I think Tears of the Kingdom is highly likely to be Nintendo's big showcase there. I'm kind of surprised that Nintendo decided to do a direct for the Mario movie. The week after Thanksgiving, they needed those really awkward little um, <laughs> videos with the two other voice actors at the beginning. Like, <laughs> that's why I, I just did it. <laughs> feel like they missed a really good weekend for advertising with the World Cup and <laughs> Thanksgiving going on. And yeah, Black Friday, historically, I don't know how it's been since the pandemic has been a really good time for moviegoers. So they could have put the the more updated, better trailer <laughs> in uh yeah, theaters. I'm just saying it probably would have been smarter to do the direct a week earlier. Yeah, but <laughs> was, maybe Illumination um, didn't want to do that because, I mean, Illumination is the movie studio and they have some experience with this. So who knows what they were thinking? Maybe it was Nintendo. I don't know. Anyway, that's a lot of asides. Um, I guess we'll we'll cut it there then, huh? <laughs> yeah. OK. Any final, final words, Jordan, before I, I hand it? No, I'm good. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Nintendo Fusion podcast. We sure do hope that you enjoyed listening to us talk about uh, Nintendo's quality of seal or quality of seal. (laughs) I'm not cutting that out. (laughs) Nintendo's seal of quality. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please be sure to give our podcast a review or a thumbs up or a like or whatever uh, the platform you're on has. Um, doing so will help get the show to more people. And uh, please be sure to check out our Discord if you want to talk with us about Nintendo stuff. You can reach it at nintendofusion.com slash Discord. And uh, that's pretty much all I have, I think. So with all that said, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. See ya.